Well, good morning. I have some good worship right there. Bringing the presence of God. Amen. Loved it, loved it, loved it. You guys do an awesome job. You know, it's so awesome. You can sense that presence. And I, I felt it this morning for the first service when I walked in the back door and the worship was going on. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad the anointing's here. Because I've been places where that was not the case. And uh, it's just a joy to be here. It does feel like, like you're my people. Uh, feels like we're, we're with family and we're friends and we're having a good time. It did take uh, 11 years for me to get invited to speak here, but, <laughs> but I feel we're close. You know, aside from that, you know, I'm not offended. <laughs> 11 long years during that time, I've been speaking all over the world. Yeah. I don't know, I guess I'm not good enough for Nags Head, whatever. So... But uh, I, I, told, I shared with the first service, you know, that, that many times people sit and, and listen to somebody new that they haven't heard before, and the first question they're asking is, what qualifies you to be up on the stage? What qualifies you to, to have a microphone and be speaking to us today? And I want to answer that clearly, is my qualifications is I have none. So, we're good, right? Just make sure we're all on the same page here. Getting everything covered, but uh, no, it's 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 great. We had a lot of fun in the first service. They were motivated, inspired. They were so they they couldn't wait to get out in the world and demonstrate what I was speaking. Half of them left halfway through the service. They were just so motivated. No, I'm just kidding. They did stay to the very end, um, and I appreciate you guys coming as second service because the wonderful thing about second service is. There's not another, there's not a third service. So we can stay here all day. All for the same fee. One fee gets you in. And you know, I don't charge anything to speak, nor do I take anything. So even though they, they'll offer, Stephen will offer, say, hey, we want to give you an honorary, we want to bless you. I'm like, I can't take it because of something that happened when I was nine years old. Because as I knew that I wanted to serve God, I knew I had a heart for God. I wanted to, I had a relationship, I was raised in a Christian home and I had a relationship with God, I had an experience at camp. Anybody ever go to camp? Yeah, some campers. <laughs> Where you meet God for the first time on your own, it's not your parents' relationship, it's not somebody else's relationship, it's not your heritage, it's just you and him. And so I had this heart for God, and I was reading the Bible every day, and I, I, I sit there in church, and I felt, God, I felt God's presence even at nine years old. I felt God's presence. He's always speaking to us regardless of how old or young we are. He's always speaking. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up at a certain time period when you're mature enough to handle it. He just shows up. He's always speaking to us. And so many times He's speaking to us through our prayers. When we get alone with God and we spend time with Him and we just start talking, you know, just having conversation. That's what He enjoys. That's what He loves. And you find yourself saying things that you don't know what you're saying. But you look back years later and you're like, that's why I said that. That's why I said that. And so one of those things was as I was sitting there and I'm, you know, wanting God's will to be done in my life. And I'm thinking about, you know, how I can serve Him and I'm watching the, the preacher up on the stage, and, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be you know, when, I, when I get older. Am I going to be a preacher? And, and I'm watching the preacher, and I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going to do that. I don't want to be no preacher. 
But then, I, fortunately, I was with uh, uh, friends of the family, uh, one of the uh, family members, the guy's name is Abner Yoder, and his uh, kids were, we were all good friends, we were all growing up, and we tra- I'd travel with them, and, and I'm watching him one time, he's up on stage, and he's at a dinner, and he's speaking to a, a crowd of, of local guys in the marketplace, you know, businessmen and business leaders and people in, in the area, and he's, tell- he's talking about his business, and he's talking about his faith in his business. He's talking about how God's guiding him in his business, how he's able to bless his people and how he's able to minister to his people. All right. And so I'm sitting there. I'm saying, that's what I want to be. God revealed it to me. I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a guy that can share his faith. I want to be. I mean, I always had it in me. It was always in me. I was always buying, selling, trading, not stealing for the most part. But you know, I was always wanting to do deals as a kid. And I said, that's what I want to be. And I said, I can share my faith in the marketplace where people don't want to, where, where a, a priest or a, a pastor or somebody in ministry is not always welcomed. But I'm in the marketplace and I can represent Christ there. And so I said, yeah, and then when I do speak, when I do uh, want to, uh, you know, get the opportunity to share my faith, uh, you know, like I was seeing, I don't have to ask for an offering. Right? Isn't that good? Everybody said amen. No offerings. I don't have to ask for an offering, nor will I take one. And so I remember, you know, as I, you know, got older and I got, got into, into business at 19 years old, I started my, my business and, and, you know, I had my scriptures lined up and I was ready to go. And, I, and, and so as the business got older, I started, you know, people asking me to, to go speak at a breakfast or, or share, you know, at a businessman's function or something like that. And so I started getting those opportunities to speak. And I remember the first time somebody said, well, hey, you know, we always pay the speaker. And so, you know, here's your check. And I was like, yeah, about time, getting paid. Yeah, about time. And, and God just reminded me about that experience when I was nine years old, that I said those things. I said, I can do that, and I don't have to take an offering. And so I said, oh, well, thank you, but, you know, I, I don't take anything to, to speak. Because, because that's not my source, that God's got me in business, and that, you know, that's funding the, the ministry uh, that God has called me to do, you know, to, to be able to speak and share my faith in the marketplace. And so you know, I had to turn those, things, you know, those opportunities down. Not that there was a lot of them. Because <laughs> most people don't offer to pay me. But uh, John Maxwell has an organization called Equip, and I sit on John Maxwell's board. And so I became an associate trainer, and so I was traveling to different parts of the world, uh, speaking and sharing uh, leadership, biblical leadership principles to, to various groups of people. And so his deal is, is that, that you, you, uh, you get to uh, pay for all your own expenses, you get to travel in far parts of the world, pay your own expenses, and then make a contribution to help the, the, the local conference come off. I'm like, huh. And therefore, I'm highly sought after as a speaker. So, just so you guys all know that I can now, you know, I brag about the fact that I'm an international speaker. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But these are, you know, th- that's, that's kind of, you know, how I got here or how, you know, why I'm up here in front of you is because God's given me that opportunity to share, not, not so that it says, oh, oh, look what he's doing or he, what he has done, but to be an example in the marketplace. That's what I do every day. You know, and that's what all of us do every day. Okay, we're here in church on Sunday. That's good. What are you doing the rest of the week? All right, 
Because most of the people, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but most of the people aren't here this morning. Most of the community is not in this church, and most of them are not in any other church. They're just not going. So what happens to them? Who's going to reach them? Is it Pastor Stephen going to go out and get them? Is it somebody on staff going to go out and say, hey, you want Jesus? No, they're not going to do that. It's you and I in the marketplace out there sharing with our neighbors, talking about the goodness of God, talking about the practical principles of God, real life, you know, how we deal with challenges, which is what we want to talk about a little bit today, which is first things first or doing hard things first, hard things first. That's the principle that we have to live at, you know, of how of what we're work, working with. And speaking of some hard things, let me give you just a little bit of background. You know, so as I told you, I started the business when I was 19 years old. But prior to that, there were some hard things that did some things to me that cemented some principles in me that I have to stand on still today. See, I, I grew up in a, uh, I was the youngest of six. And like I said, it was a Christian home. My father owned a, a sawmill. And so we were working in the mill every day, every day after school. Every time that there was a snow day. In Ohio, we have snow days. Okay? And most kids, snow day, you're listening to the radio. School's canceled. Woo, yeah, I'm going back to bed, going sled riding. Not the Miller household. No, no. Oh, you got a snow day, so you're not in school. Oh, well, get in the car. You're going to the mill. We get to go stack lumber all day. I was cold. My fingers are cold. Child labor laws were not enforced. (laughs) Excuse me, having a difficult time with my technology. It's over my ear. Oh, there it is. You seen that all this time and you didn't say nothing? Thanks a lot. Just sit there and be pretty, lady. (laughs) Whatever. So grew up in this, in this uh, wonderful family, like I said, youngest of six, and, and so when I was 13, a series of tragedies started to hit the family, and they started impacting us to the point where you're starting to lift your head saying, okay, God, what in the world? You know, anybody ever heard of Job? Yeah, it was real life, those kind of experiences, and what I'm sharing with you is nothing that none of you have ever experienced. It's not unique to me. My challenges are unique, the timing of my challenges are unique, but the challenges are not unique. You guys all face them. Life comes at every single one of us. The changes of the path changes that hit our life, we cannot control. Most of them, we don't have any control with what comes at us. The only thing we control 100% is how we respond to them, right? And so I had a great example early on in my life of how to respond to challenges, knowing that they're coming, because they don't just come once. You know, yeah, I went through a tough time during a period of my life. Now that's over and things are good (laughs) for now. But challenges are always at the door. Challenges are always around the corner. And we don't care because God's faithful. Right? And so... My, uh, at, at 13, my, my oldest brother, he and I were working in the mill. I wasn't there that day. But he uh, had, uh, my brother Jeff had uh, stuck his hand in a gang rip saw to get a piece of wood out. And his glove got caught and it ripped his hand th- across the blades. And it severed his hand. 
And so fortunately, uh, 40 hours of surgery, they were able to reattach the hand and very traumatic time in the family. And my mom's at the hospital day and night, spending the night up there with her 14-year-old son that, that potentially could lose his hand. Very traumatic time. While she's in the hospital, she gets a phone call that her aunt, that she was very close to, suddenly passed away. So she has to leave the hospital, go to the funeral, come back to, to the hospital, take care of her son, bring her son home from the hospital. Hope that the family, you know, once they reattached it, they weren't sure it was going to take. As you know about those kind of surgeries, you're not sure if everything's going to connect. And so it was touch and go and you don't know what's going to happen. While that's going on, two weeks after she gets home, she gets a phone call that her mother, her mother unexpectedly passed away. And she's like, oh my goodness, another funeral. She goes and buries her mother, and, and we all endure that with her, and we're around our, our grandmother and our family and all those kind of things. And she suffers, you know, she, she gets through that. Her two friends, Barb and Trudy, come alongside of her after all that had happened, and they said, you know what, you've been through so much. You've been through so much. We need to just, we're, we're going to take you away and just have some fun. Just go and, 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 and stay in a hotel and have some fun. So they took her to the PTL club. Everybody remember that? PTL club. And so they worked in the phone banks and they would pray for people and they would tell the stories about the funny stories that they'd heard on the prayer lines. You know, you get some good stories in there. And so you're not supposed to share them. So anyhow. They're having a good time. They're getting away, kind of just loving on her. They're on the bus heading back, and the bus driver says, Hey, uh, you three ladies need to stay on the bus. You need to go back to the hotel. There's, there's, been a, uh, there's been an accident in Ohio. And right away, my mom is like, Hey, oh my goodness, some, something just happened to my, my, my children. And her friends are saying, No, no, Fran, you don't know what, what's going on. I'm sure it's going to be okay. Let's just go and we'll, we'll, be, you know, we'll find out what's going on. They go back to the hotel, and her two friends have to sit my mother down and tell her that her 21 year old son was just killed in a trucking accident. They have to tell her that your son, 21 years old, has a six month old baby boy, was just killed in a trucking accident. Life comes at us. She didn't have any control over that. She had the opportunity to do what you and I would have potentially done is become bitter. But she didn't. She struggled through that and the family came together and we endured those tough times. Extremely tough times. Like I said, we were, had a sawmill and 30 employees, and we weren't wealthy, but we always had what we needed, and it was a path that I thought, well, maybe, you know, when I get through high school, maybe I'll go to work for my dad and in the mill like my brothers did. They all left high school in ninth grade and just went to work in the mill. That's the way life was. A year later, Jeff and I are coming home from school, and we look across the street where the mill is, and we see eight fire departments surrounding the building. And we're like, what is going on? Lights everywhere. We pull in. We walk between the trucks and we, and we look and we see that the mill is totally destroyed. Everything's gone. And I remember my knees getting weak. I'm 14 years old. My knees are weak. And I think, what is going on? What's going to happen to our family? Is our family done? Is it over? What, what are we doing? 
And I remember looking over and seeing our neighbors setting up on a table. And they're looking at my brother and I. And they don't know what to say to us. And they're just standing there. And they're shaking their heads. And they're saying, we're so sorry. As I'm standing there with my hands on my knees, not knowing tears coming by my face, I'm like, God, what are we going to do? It's through these moments in time that we face these challenges that stakes get driven in the ground. When we choose to, how we respond to these moments in time, we become bitter or we become better. And my dad did something that he didn't know he was doing. He didn't know what he was doing at that time. He got the family together and we're sitting in the kitchen. We're all just in a daze of what all has transpired in the last 18 months. And my dad says this to the family. He says, I don't know. We don't know why all these things have happened to us. But we do know this. And here's the stake in the ground. We do know this, that God is faithful and we're going to be okay. The family is going to be okay. We're not going anywhere as he drives the stake in the ground and says, we're not going anywhere. God is faithful. Now, he had no idea how he was going to be, how the family was going to be okay. Over the, the following years, we, we were selling off assets, selling off farms, selling off different things to try to just survive. And it was hand to mouth. But at 14 years old, that's all I needed to hear. All I needed to hear was that we're going to be okay. God is faithful to his word. And I've had to use that stake in the ground many times over the years. And I still have to use that stake in the ground. When things impact me, when, when challenges face me. And I always tell Stephen, I said, you know, I realized early on, as you build a business and you start to grow and you start to have some success, no matter how big you get, or how small you are, no matter how big you get, you're always three decisions away from bankruptcy. Right? It, there's no business utopia. I mean, look around. We see big companies that are billion-dollar companies that end up failing and closing the doors. So what, where does that keep us? Keeps us in the Word of God. Keeps me, keeps me having to get on my knees every morning and say, Okay, God, I'm not able. I'm not able. I can't, I'm not, I can't run this thing. Those are the stakes that we have to drive in the ground and we have to be prepared for those kind of decisions when those challenges come because they're coming. And you can, you can endure those challenges when you make that determination. You don't really care what the challenge is. It doesn't, you don't get depressed and say, woe is me, and we start to look around and just to make sure that things are fair. Right? We start comparing ourselves to other people. Okay? But those were the, the stakes that were driven, and that's what, what drove me. As I, when I was 19 years old, I, I scraped a few dollars together, and I was able to, to build a little part of the old uh, mill back together and piece some old equipment together that we had purchased, and, and I was able to start manufacturing pallets. Now, I had three scriptures. I had the promises of God. Okay? Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall... Men heap unto you. Now, as a business guy, 
You can declare that over your business. I was declaring that, that men were going to bring it to me. The good business deals were going to find their way to me. The right relationships were going to find their way to me. That's what the scripture says. That's a promise. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse. Prove me. See if I won't. See if the windows of heaven won't open up and pour you out blessings which you cannot contain. I grabbed that one. See, I didn't have a college education. I didn't have a degree or training or all those. I just had, I just knew I wanted to, to build something, sell it, and make money. Right? That's a pretty good plan, right? Pretty simple, pretty basic. And I, and, and so I knew I wanted to do that, and I was like, well, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Should I, should I, should, you know, I, I don't, you know, should I, Pray about inventing a product that I could make that no one else has? Should I have something unique that I can put a patent on? I hear stories that those people make a lot of money. Right? We all hear those stories. Yeah, yeah. So-and-so, he made an app. And that thing took off. Man, Google ended up buying him. He made billions of dollars. Man, maybe I should do something like that. Of course, back then they didn't have apps. So I could have been ahead of my time. (laughs) Missed that opportunity. But the reality was, I had to only do what was in front of me. We get so confused and we, we try to make it so difficult as far as, God, what's your will for my life? She said, yeah, what? Just show me, and that's what I was praying at 19 years old. What is your will? Should I go to college? Should I start a business? Should I, what business should I start? What product should I make? What should I do? And I kept lamenting over this. And finally, I was like, well, the only thing I know that I've been around is manufacturing pallets. I grew up in the sawmill business that was now destroyed. But I knew that that business existed. And I said, well, maybe, and that was just some of what we did. We cut lumber, and then we also made pallets out of the byproducts. So it was a small piece of my dad's business. But it was all gone and had been gone for like four or five years by the time I started in business. And I remember going back to the original sales accounts. I went back to the old files and said, I'll call those people that dad used to sell a palace to, right? Surely they'll buy from me. It's a sad story. We had a fire, right? I'm, a li- I'm just little, just a little guy. I called the first guy up and I said, hey, you know, we used to supply you. It's Millwood. <laughs> He's like, who? I'm like, what? Millwood. You know, Millwood. Nah, nah. It's the same guy. Your name's, you know, Bozo, right? Yeah. Same guy, same company, no clue, didn't care. Did I tell you that we had a fire? Yeah, yeah that's too bad. So what, what can you do? I remember I went in my first sales call, a place called Gojo Industries, and I go in there and I, you know, finally get my big sales call. I got a suit on and everything. I walk in, finally he gets back to his office, and the guy looks up at me and says, Hey, was school lift out early today? No, I'm a businessman. Whatever. So, but you establish those scriptures, Luke 6.38, Malachi 3.10, Deuteronomy 8.18, forget not that it's I that gives you power to gain wealth that you may establish my covenant. It's part of our purpose as business leaders. We create wealth for the kingdom of God. So I'm getting these scriptures. These are promises of God. These are promises of God. The windows of heaven. I mean, I got to think that if the windows are open, there's a lot of stuff coming out, right? I got to think that God's promises are true and they're promises. Surely God's a performer of his word, right? 
Surely I'm going to be a millionaire within six months, right? I didn't realize that faith's not faith until it's tested. Amen. Everybody hates testing. Amen. Ridiculous. But it's part of it. We have to prove ourselves. We have to drive those stakes in the ground and say, this is who I am, regardless of the, the challenges that I face. And so as we began in business, we failed miserably for several years. And, and it was after two and a half years, and I'm declaring, I'm doing everything, guys. I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm selling. I'm the forklift driver. I'm the truck driver. I'm the supervisor. Had three employees. I'm doing it all. And I'm praying over the business. I'm praying over the business. I'm declaring God's word over and over again. After two and a half years, I'm like, this ain't working. We're upside down. We're not getting out. And I'm reading the Bible. Every night I go in to read the Bible. It's like, maybe I need more promises. Maybe I need some more. Maybe I don't have enough. Find something else that God is promising me. I would do the Jericho marches around the building. Yeah. Did that for seven days. Waiting for something to fall. Declaring God's word. And I remember there was a turning point after two and a half years of failing, failing, failing. And finally, we owed all these lumber, lumber companies lump, you know, uh, for, for the lumber that we had purchased from them. And we couldn't pay them. And my sister's my secretary. And she hangs up the phone. And she, she, I hear her over there. I'm like, Charlene, what's wrong? She's like, I'm telling these lumber suppliers that we're going to pay them off. And there's no way we're ever going to pay them off. And I remember looking at her and I said, Charlene, don't worry about it. I said, God's faithful. Key words. God's faithful. And we're going to be okay. God's going to work something out. We're going to be okay. And I remember walking out of the steps of the office. And I'm walking down the steps. And I thought to myself, you know, that's funny. I really believe that. It was like that moment where, where you, you've been doing it, you've been declaring it, you drove the stakes in the ground, you're not moving, and you finally get it. And you're like, yeah, we're going to be okay. We were upside down $30,000, and I was trying to make three semi-loads a week and with a profit margin of about $250 per truckload. So getting the $30,000 back was a long ways away. Not realistic, but fortunately, 30 days later, we had paid off all of our lumber companies, and we were back to zero. And the way what happened was one of the neighbors came, approached me and said, hey, I've got, I want to build a chicken farm, and I don't have room on my property, but it butts up against the back of yours, and I'd like to buy 15 acres, and I'm willing to pay $2,000 an acre. That's $30,000 for those of you who do quick math. 15 acres, $2,000, $30,000, paid the lumber suppliers. Now we're back to zero and we're saying, okay, let's not do what we did before. Let's do something else. And God gave us opportunities and we began to get into pallet recycling, which back then it was before recycling was cool. And so now, you know, of our 27 locations, we have um, seven or uh, uh, five of them are new manufacturing, but the rest of them are all recycling. So it gave us that niche. That moment. And, and, and let me tell you something. Talk about these journeys. It's like it's, you, you never reach utopia. Yes, your organization gets bigger and you, you, you enjoy the success of this and that. But there's always those challenges that you have to go back to the word of God and say, I'm anchored here. I'm anchored here. So 
that gives you a little bit of background about how I got here. So now we can get into the message. Yeah, that wasn't the message, okay? I got all day. Just kidding. Let me give you an inspirational quote. You ready to be inspired? Who's ready to be inspired? Okay, all right. We got partial participation. Great. By a great philosopher from Arkansas. Actually, I think he was the only philosopher from Arkansas. But if you eat a frog first thing in the morning, that will probably be the worst thing you do all day. Mark Twain. You can eat on that for a while, right? Doing, doing the hard things first allows you to gain momentum for everything else that you're doing. The willingness to have the faith to stand up and face your challenges gives you the, the confidence that you need. Uh, Penn State University showed that doing, they, they did a study that doing hard things first was not only beneficial by completing the task, but also produced a sense of confidence that had a positive effect on the remaining tasks of the day. This was true even when the difficult task was not a positive result. Individuals still had a sense of pride that they didn't back down from the challenge. Doing hard things first gives us momentum. Gino uh, Oriyama, coach for the Yukon Huskies, women's basketball team. They won 11 national championships, had 111 consecutive wins. Amazingly successful program. They asked him, said, coach, how do you deal with these difficult games? He said, difficult games? He says, our team does, he says, I don't have a, a problem with difficult games because our team does the hard things first. Our practices are so hard that playing in games is the easiest thing we do. Doing hard things first is an area that we, we, it's a principle that can drive us and cause us to face our challenges through the faith in God. Now, one of the things that keeps me from, from embracing my hard, difficult challenges and keeps me from avoiding them and causes me to procrastinate is timing. I tend to look at timing and I say, well, you know, maybe, maybe now is not the right time to have this difficult conversation. Maybe now is not the right time. I'm looking for the perfect time to uh, call this customer. Maybe I'm looking for the perfect, perfect time to deal with this problem. Solomon, you guys remember him? He's in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 11.4, he said this. He said, he who observes the wind and waits for all the conditions to be favorable will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, for those of you that need a more direct translation, the New Living Translation says it this way, so we can understand it a bit more clearly. Because we might be sitting there saying, hmm, he who observes the wind and regards the clouds. Hmm, interesting. This is more direct. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Does that relate? We sit around and we wait for the perfect conditions. We sit around and wait for, for the, the political climate to be just right. We wait for the economy to just be just right. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're not doing what God's called us to do. Right? Doing difficult things first. Done is always better than perfect. It's a great rule to live by. Get out there, get in the morning and get it done. Get it done. Oh, it's per not perfect. It's fine. It's done. Not perfect timing. Could have had better results if this and that. So what? It's done. We got something done. We got momentum. 
These are important things, which is a great segue into our conversation about money. Hard things first. We're talking about giving, generosity, being good stewards with our money. That's a difficult subject, right? I can tell. And any time that we talk about money, the first thing that happens is we start to compare. We start to compare ourselves and we say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know I-, I would give if I had that guy's money. I would be more generous if God would just bless me here. I would, right? Do you hear yourself talking? That's ridiculous. There's a quote that says, all misery begins with comparison. We drive ourselves crazy when we start comparing ourselves. We face challenges and we feel like life's not fair and we start looking around saying, well, things aren't fair. That guy over there, he's not facing what I'm facing. And I know I live a better life than he does. More misery, more misery, more misery. Life is fair. God never tempts us above what we are able. When we face challenges, we tend to wonder if life is treating us fairly. So we begin to compare ourselves with others. And since the timing and the types of challenges we face are unique to each of us, what a futile exercise. It's foolishness to think that, oh, because you're not going through what I'm going through right now, your challenge is coming later. We have different types and timing. It, it, there's no comparison. That's why in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story. Every good story starts like this. Jesus started the story and he says, so there was this guy. Right? Jesus is talking to his people and he says, there's this guy. He's a leader. And he's going to be gone for a long time. He's telling him a story. Not a real life thing. He says, this is a story about some guy. And he says, he left for a long time. And he said, before he left, he got with these three different people. And he said, here, here's five bags of gold. Go manage it while I'm gone. And when I come back, I'll reward you. Goes to another guy and says, here's two bags. Goes to another guy, here's one bag. Tells them all to do the same thing. Tells every one of them to manage it well. Manage it well. Here's my gift to you. It's a gift. Manage it well. He didn't tell them to compare. Because the guy with five could have very easily said, I've got five bags. I can do nothing and I'm five times better than you. I can do nothing that I'm more than two, two times better than the other guy. No comparisons allowed. The guy with two could have looked back and said, hey, I got twice as much as you, loser. But they all had the same task. Take what you're given. And as I'm telling you this, you're thinking about things that you've been given. What is in front of you today? And start asking that question. I don't have much, but I got this. I don't have five bags, but I got one. I don't have five bags, but I got two. Or I've got five bags. What am I doing? What are you doing with what you've been given? Everybody has been given a gift. Life is a gift. What are you doing with it? It's a challenge that we all have to embrace. We have to embrace. It's a responsibility and a requirement for us to embrace those challenges. Master comes back, this guy. He comes back, talks to the guy with five, and five guy with five says, hey, I doubled up. I made 10. He says, well done. Man, you did exactly what I asked you to do. Go in, enter into my rest, and your reward is waiting for you there. 
You have been faithful with little. I will make you ruler of much. He goes to the guy with two. Guy, same story. Went from two to four. He says, man, you got the same thing that guy got. He got the same reward as the guy with ten. He only made four. He didn't even catch up with him. There's no comparison. I, made, I, I took two. I made four. And he says, man, you did, you did what I asked you to do. You took what I gave you and you doubled it. You grew it. You, you, you expanded on it. He says, go in. You've been faithful as little. I will give you, make you ruler of much. What are you doing? doesn't matter what your age is. doesn't matter what you've done, have not done in your life. You've got a gift. It's still there. What are you doing with it? How are you growing it? How are you expanding it? That's the challenge. Now he gets down to that guy with the one bag. You guys may know the story. This guy, the Bible says that he says, he replied to his master. He said, he said, I was afraid and I went out and I hid it in the ground so that I would not lose it. That's so many of us. We take what we're given and we protect it. We hold it close. We don't want to risk anything because of what? Because of fear. Fear keeps us restricted. It keeps us from growing. It keeps us from doing what God's created us to do. And so because of fear, he holds it tightly. He goes out and buries it. And he says, man, I was afraid of you. And I knew that you were going to come back because you said you were going to come back. And I was just so scared. And I, because I respect you, man. You know I love you. You know. You know. And he says, so I buried it out here and so that I wouldn't lose it because God knows if I would have gone out in the marketplace, I start, I, truthfully, I just start spending money. <laughs> I can't help it. So I knew I wasn't able to do that, so I just buried it. He comes back and he gives it to the master and he's thinking to himself, he says, oh, surely he'll be pleased that at least I didn't lose it. And the master says to him, he says, you wicked, lazy, wicked, lazy servant. Get out of my sight. Get him out of here. And as he starts to walk off, he says, oh, take the bag from him too. And give it to the guy that made 10. And the rich get richer. It's a biblical principle. When you're a good steward with what you're given, you're going to get stuff that you didn't even earn. When you're a good steward with what you're given, you get stuff that you don't even deserve. That's the blessing of God. God wants a distinction in us. That's what's calling in our lives. Malachi 3.18. We're going to now trans turn to Malachi, the book of Malachi. But I want to start at the back. Malachi 3.18 says, You will again see my distinction between those who serve God and do not. That's God's will for our lives. He wants the body of Christ to have a distinction. So that when you leave this church service, when you go out in the marketplace, you go out and do whatever it is you do. Well, I don't have an important job. I just provide this service. So what? Do what it is you do. And do it in a manner that God, and start asking the question, God, how do you want me to do this? God, how do you want me to do this so that it honors you? God, how do you want to use my skill set so that I can be an influence for you and draw others to Christ so that when they leave my conversation, they are left with a desire to grow closer to you? That's the question. That's where God wants us. But the, see, there was a situation going on in, in the, uh, uh, with, with the religious community where they were doing all the stuff that they um, thought they should have been doing. They were going to church every week. They were making sacrifices. Back then, they had to bring their first fruits during harvest season. They had to bring their first fruit, their best animal. 
And they had to bring it to the priest, and the priest had to accept it, and then they put it on the altar, and they offered it to God. That was the principle. But the people were just going through the motions. They were not doing what God had really called them to do. And it's speaking to us, okay? It's the book of Malachi, and Malachi was a prophet. Again, his name is Malachi. It's not Miller, okay? I didn't write this, okay? But he really comes at him hard. He comes at us hard and says, are you a good steward of what I've given you? When we talk about money and financial stewardship, there's some principles that are rock solid and in place, and he is dead serious about it. He is dead serious about how we come to the throne of God and what we ask for. And he says, he starts out the book of Malachi in in verse 2. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask How have you loved us? The attitude was from the people. They were downtrodden. The nation of Israel was last. They were were struggling in every sense of the word. Other nations were making fun of them. They were saying that you're a fool. Your God doesn't exist. They were a laughing stock. And they're saying, you say you love us. Show us how you love us. I mean, look at us. We're, 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 We're a disaster. That was the attitude that was going on in the body of Christ. And we get that attitude also from time to time. Jesus says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. In verse 6, if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect? It is you priests who show contempt to my name. But you ask, how have you shown contempt? How have we shown contempt for your name? And here's the point. He says, because you offer defiled offerings. You bring defiled food to my altar. You're bringing blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice a lame or diseased animal, is that not wrong? So they weren't bringing their best. They weren't bringing their first. They were bringing what's left over. The guys were looking at their flocks and saying, you know, this one's got pink eye and one leg and a bunch of bugs crawling around. Looks like he's got worms too. He's probably going to die in a week or two. We might as well sacrifice him today. Hey, that's logical, right? If you're going to kill something, might as well kill something that's already half dead. And so they begin to do these kind of things, and the priests were accepting it. And Malachi's coming hard at the priests. He's coming hard at them. And he's saying, he's saying, you can't do that. You can't accept those sacrifices. That's second best. He finally says, in verse, verse 10, he says, Oh, that one of you would just shut the door. One of you morons should shut the door. And stop with these foolish sacrifices. And stop lighting useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with your second best. When we get through our month and we pay all of our bills, and then we say, you know, I really like Pastor Steve, and uh, I like this church, and uh, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give some money. And we throw some money into the the, uh, offering plate. We don't measure it. We just throw it in. We're given our second best. And, and this is what the principle that Malachi has given the people. And he's saying, this cannot continue. You're not showing me respect. You're not showing me what, I, what, what, what is due to me. And he continues to challenge them with these, these messages. And he's, he's coming at them hard. Here comes security. You know, I'll bet there's a lot of people that can play piano in this service. 
What's wrong with having Hannah come up and sing a little bit? Is it necessary to have Floyd Mayweather come up? Good timing. Your time is perfect, brother. Let me bring this down. As Jesus and God, God's speaking to our hearts, and He's speaking to us about giving, about being diligent, about serving Him. Because, like we start when, when, when we, before we went into Malachi, He said, I want my people to be distinctive, I want you to be separate, I want you to be great. I am a great God. And I deserve to be first. I don't want your family first. I don't want your your business first. I don't want your ministry first. I want to be first. Nothing comes in front of me. And if you'll put me first in every area of your lives, prove me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings which you cannot contain. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're all supposed to be these super business? No, no. It's not talking about business. It's talking about you. Talk about you doing what God's called you to do. Putting him first. Do you think it's a joke when he says where your treasure is, there your heart is also? Do you think that's not true? Do you think that's a nice to have? It's the, it's the word of God. It's the word of God that he's ministering to us. He's telling us. He's encouraging us. Please do this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this. He's inviting us this morning. He's inviting us. Just prove me, he says. I, he's, he's speaking to our spirits and he's telling us, and he's saying, I know it doesn't make sense. I know it. It's not logical. Just like in the Old Testament, I know it doesn't make sense to take your best best lamb out of the flock and expect your, your flock to uh, multiply and be fruitful when you take the best one out of the gene pool. I know it doesn't make sense. He says, but I'm God. I'm a great God. I will do great things in your life if you just let me. If you just make me first. And finances is one part of it. It's not the whole part. But it's an example of who we are. It's an example of, of, our, of, of our obedience in the area of finances. This is what happened after Malachi delivered the message. The people got together after they heard this message. And he hit them. He hit them right between the eyes. He didn't pull any punches. He called it the way it was. And the people got together and they repented. And they talked about it between each other. And as you leave today and you go home in your homes and and you go back to the book of Malachi to see if what I said is true. Because you're testing me. As you go home and you talk about it, and you listen, and the whole point is you ask God, God, if you're not tithing now, if that's not a principle in your life, say, okay, God, you know my financial situation. How do you want me to get started? And you drive a stake in the ground today, and you say, today, today's that day when I, make, when I get started. I'm going to pursue financial obedience. And listen what he says in verse 18 again. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. That's God. That's God's, that's God's desire, His heart, everything inside of Him. He says, I want to make you great. I want greatness in your life. Just let me. 
That's why he starts out in verse 10. He says, just prove me. I know it doesn't make sense. Just prove me. Drive a stake in the ground and, 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 and declare who you are as a, as, a, as a man or woman of God. Declaring God's faithfulness. Knowing that God is faithful to his word. And regardless of the challenges that you face, that you're going to be okay because God is faithful to his word. If you could stand with me. The book of Malachi was written to the body of Christ. These people were religious people. They were, they were not the people that were, that were out in the world. They were in the church like we are here today. They were going through the motions. They were showing up. But they lacked a relationship. They were missing. They were, they were not connected. And maybe you're here today. And you're thinking about your life. The most important thing is, is starting that relationship with God. Romans 10.9 says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. That's the beginning of that relationship. And as you pursue that relationship, Psalms 37 says that delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning that He starts to drop desires inside of you. You find yourself wanting to pursue certain things. Where'd those desires come from? They come from God. As you pursue a relationship with Him, those desires start to drop inside of you. And as you're praying for and say, God, what do you want me to do? What's my future look like? What's my purpose in life? As you're praying about those things, He's busy dropping desires in your heart. That's the scripture. Those are promises. That's God's will for our lives. He wants us to be uh, distinctive. He wants a distinction in our lives. And it starts with that relationship. So if you could bow your heads this morning.